Welcome to Roadmap to Joy. My name is Alex Stavros. I'm the CEO of Embark Behavioral Health. And today I'm delighted to have Andy Maurer with me. One way that I like to talk about what Andy does is this combination of being an exceptional clinical therapist and a great executive coach. Mm. And so you've started this new company that yeah. basically combines both of those. How would you describe what you do? Sure. Well, I think if I wanted to describe it, I'd go back a little bit and give some context. So I'm a former licensed therapist, went to school, practiced for a couple of years. And one thing that I saw, which was a huge gap in the market, especially for leaders, which is a client that we serve, is that therapy provided a great service to them in some ways. But there was some gaps in what therapy had to offer. The dual relationship, they couldn't have relationships outside the office and some of the, how they understood their role as an executive or as a leader, a lot of therapists didn't understand them in a lot of ways. It was um, issue context based, but it wasn't contextualized around leadership for them. So I thought, you know, then I started looking at executive coaching role then I realized, oh, really great things there for these leaders, but they had a hard time dropping below the line on some of these subconscious issues that are going on, which really drives a lot of the functional issues above the line. So I saw two main services that were offered for executive leaders, both good, but both incomplete for the life of this leader. So we bridged those two. I jumped out being a therapist and I became a coach. And we started Pursue Whole, me and my wife, we co-founded Pursue Whole uh, in 2020, right before the pandemic, which was opportune timing because it just seemed like in that season, leaders needed a lot of support with all the chaos that was going on. So we are a coaching business, but we we are transitioning into a lifestyle brand that helps leaders pursue wholeness in their life, leadership, and relationships. And we serve three primary leaders. We serve leaders in the business community, in the entertainment industry, and also professional athletes. There are some similarities between all those and some differences. So the name of the company, Pursue Whole, uh, obviously we know what pursue means. Uh, what is whole? Why the word whole? Where does it come from and what does it mean within the context of your work? Yeah, well, wholeness means completeness. And that word, if you look all the way back, comes from the word shalom, which is a Hebrew word, which most people would understand as peace, but actually it means completeness. And not just completeness in family, not just completeness in business, not just completeness financially, but kind of a whole rounded person. So when we talk about wholeness, there are really two parts of the leader that we're trying to integrate. And by integrate, I mean to bring together as one complete whole. They have their high performance part, which is driven, logical, linear. It gets a lot of stuff done. It drives the boat forward. But then they have their more emotional and rela relational part, which is more uh, better at relationships and connection. It connects with their children. It connects with their purpose, their meaning, and their why. So you have these two parts, and oftentimes um, they operate very uh, separate from one another. Yeah. So when I sit down with leaders, they will describe um, – that if they were driving a car, the high performance part is driving the car 95 to 99% of the time. They're just hustling through. Well, that a more emotional part doesn't even get a seat in the car, it gets put in the trunk, right? Yeah, yeah. They just keep pushing it down, pushing it to the side yeah. because they see that as a problem to their performance when it, really yeah. it's one of the greatest assets to their yeah. performance. They just don't know that. Yeah. So wholeness is really taking these two parts and bringing them together so that leaders can live a whole life, one that's integrated from both their performance part, but also this more deeply integrated emotional part. Yeah. How do you live life with both of those parts versus yeah. just 
just having your high performer drive. Yeah, you know, I've I've definitely experienced that that when I'm trying to perform well or I need a certain result, there are certain things I need to turn off. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things I need to tell myself. And it has to do a lot of it is about grit and resilience and withstanding the pain and maybe feeling some emotions but getting them o- getting over it really quick yes. because I I have to be and you talked about athletes too. Yeah. Athletes very much are this way. You can have right before the game some stress some anxiety but when it's mm. game time it's crunch time it's game you yeah. got to be all in focus in. and you got to remove all that noise uh, but often what i find is that may help in in certain periods of time and sometimes longer periods of time to perform mm. or achieve certain results uh but there's a lack of meaning and purpose yes. over time that starts to build and you start to feel empty and then you start to get these achievements and these results and you're like what's there and mm-hmm. part of it is because you're not bringing your full self there are certain parts that you're just closing out that you're shutting right. down and and those parts are actually where all this purpose and meaning comes for why we're alive why we do what yeah. we do yeah i would absolutely 100 percent agree and i think what leaders are trying to do most of the time is they lock into that high performer and they achieve high levels of success but then they lose the most important things uh, in life on their on their journey to success. They lose their sense of purpose and meaning, their their family connection, connections with kiddos. So what we describe is it's really normal and natural. Stress is a very good thing. We've talked about that before. Stress helps us lock into the zone, lock into flow. Um, it allows us to perform at optimum levels. But when that stress becomes toxic stress, when it overflows, when it becomes a lifestyle of stress, it really deteriorates our ability to perform at optimum levels. So typically for leaders, I'll say, what we need to do is we need to have windows of high performance, but not a lifestyle Mm -hmm. of high performance. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have both an active life, which is the pursuing great things, pursuing more, pushing yourself beyond your limits, but you also have the passive life, which is the ability to slow down and actually have empathy when your spouse shares that they're having a hard day or being able to watch your kid and connect with your child as they play or engage with something. These are two different parts of the brain, and yet we don't create windows of rest. We create lifestyles of stress, Mm -hmm. and that is detrimental to uh, not only performance, but also to finding a purposeful and joyful life. Yeah. And so, Andy, what got you into originally what got you into wanting to be a clinical therapist? Well, part of my expertise in this journey has been actually engaging in therapy my whole life. So I've had a therapist off and on for the last decade and a half of my life, and that's really helped me address below-the-line issues in a lot of really, really helpful ways. As a kiddo, you're just kind of running through life trying to have fun and play, and there's hard things going on. And um, But as I got older, um, a lot of the hard things that happened in childhood started to become more front. Uh, top of mind. I started to think about them more. I started to process them more. And one of the difficult things that came up for me was I had a condition called hyperhidrosis. And about one to two percent of the population has this condition. And it's where my hands and my armpits and my feet would sweat profusely. And um, to the point where I would go to school and I'd have these huge rings of sweat in my armpits. I'd have to take multiple shirts. You never wear gray. You always wear black or white because sweat doesn't show on black or white. I had like all this in my head. Um, socially to think about how do I become accepted in the circles that I'm a part of. And I feel like I never want to touch people because as soon as I shake their hand, they go, oh, that's really gross. So I just felt very 
ashamed about my body's natural response to stress and how it would sweat. And what was so frustrating to me was I didn't do anything to get that. It's like something happened to me and I didn't get a choice on whether I wanted that to happen or not. Uh, it's just my body's response. So what was really difficult about that is I couldn't even do my homework at school. Um, I had to constantly wipe my hands and kind of shake my hands. And it made me go really internal. Um, I was a very social kid. I loved connecting with people, but I couldn't do it in the way that I wanted. So as time went on, I had to really process some of the pain around that, some of the social um, isolation that I felt. And I eventually convinced my parents to go and get a surgery for this procedure that now I don't sweat on my hands and my armpits anymore. I still sweat on my feet. But that allowed me to really branch out and then find more connections. It was a really helpful thing for me. But as I branched out, I started to realize, oh, there's a lot of painful things for me in my past that I had to work through, whether it's relationships with family, whether it's views I had on myself, whether it's different addictions that I had to address. And as I went through that process, uh, the most helpful thing for me was being able to just have someone to talk to, mm -hmm. like these older, wiser mentors that I could just sit with and process about what I felt why I felt it and, and almost get it out in real time. And that was very helpful for me to have relationships in my life that helped support me. And after that process, I thought, you know, I want to do some really impactful work in the world. So I actually went back to school to ASU, got my exercise and wellness degree, and I wanted to do personal training. I wanted to help people feel good in their body because exercise was a really great way for me to heal my relationship with my body. Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of people, they have unhealthy behaviors around exercise. For me, it was a way that I could feel confident about my body. It was a way, after all this hyperhidrosis, it was a way that I could reconnect with my body after feeling like my body had betrayed me in a way. So I went back and I became a personal trainer and I loved training people. I started my own company. I learned about business during that time, started training leaders and companies and their employees. But part of the breakdown there was I was helping people physically feel good on the outside and look good, but internally, emotionally, they were still really struggling. You know, there's eating disorders going on and there's lots of stuff coming up. And I'm like, man, I, I don't think making someone look good on the outside is going to resolve what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. So then I, I did some deeper work and I went back to school and got my counseling degree because I wanted to do even deeper work on myself and others. And that's really what led me into therapy um, to really make this deep-seated change impact because I saw, um, you know, especially in the leadership community, all they're fed is do more, do more, read this book, perform at higher levels, have this hack, be productive in this area. It's encouraging them to just do more, but it's not slowing them down to assess what's actually going on below the line. And oftentimes I found if these leaders are really honest, they would say, I don't know what's going on below the line. It's like they're on a treadmill that's going 100 miles per hour and there are team members and family members and board members who are pushing the speed up on the treadmill so they mm -hmm. keep running faster. And they run on it because they don't know anything better. But mm -hmm. what they crave is to have someone tell them, you don't have to be on that treadmill anymore. You can come off, take a break get set and then go back on the treadmill and run with better intention and, and purpose and meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that there's a lot about work and, and leadership that is compensating mm -hmm. for issues that we haven't resolved or addressed. Yes. And so often there are issues that we're not even aware of. And you took the time to start to explore these that just opened up this whole new world 
and seems like that this is a gift you want to give back that I was able to do this work and this introspection to understand what was making me tick and what was driving me and I see so many other uh, leaders out there that haven't gotten in touch with that yet and you can live so much more of a purposeful meaningful and whole life if you were aware of these issues and uh, integrated them more Uh, how do you feel like that for you personally that journey has impacted uh, the relationship with your wife and with your kids Mm. It's huge. I mean, it's it's everything. Um, when I went through this process of healing, and I'm still in this process of healing, one area that I had to face was my need to define myself based on my performance, that I did not feel at times people wanted me for who I was as a person. They wanted me because of what I was able to produce for them. And as I've really learned over the last decade to unpeel those layers and really actually like myself and like who I am and feel proud about who I am and understand my unique abilities and how to be content, I'm able to be really present with my wife. Um, I'm able to be really present, I think, when she comes to me with an issue about me. Uh, I think before I would have been a lot more defensive because I was trying to say, hey, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm what do you want me to do more? Because I was so much in my head around, I am my behavior, I am my performance. But now I can take a step back much more, not every time, but I can take a step back and go, okay, she's not attacking my identity. She's bringing up uh, an issue in some of my character and my behavior that I need to address. And I'm willing to shift and address that and listen with empathy and and maybe understand what it's like for her on her side. Um, For my kiddos, uh, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is I stop pushing them and and I stop pushing them around their performance as a way to help them essentially feel good about themselves. So I think before I would have really pushed my kids to behave a certain way or show up a certain way or be really good at certain things. And now I can just delight my kids a lot more. I can look at them and I can actually learn to discover who they are uniquely And it is a privilege, like it's such a joy to not care how my kids behave in front of other people or what they're struggling with. My greatest desire is that someday when my kids come to me, which they will, and they talk about their pain and my hurt of how I hurt them, I'm gonna be in a position to say, thank you for sharing that with me. I accept that. I would love to learn how to love you better through this process. Mm But if I don't do this deep work, I'm going to come off defensive or worse yet, I'm not even going to have a safe context and relationship with them where they feel safe to come to me and talk to me about mm-hmm. their issues. Mm-hmm. Can't tell, how, tell you how many leaders I talk to who want deep connection with their kids and try to force that. Mm-hmm. Like sit down, talk to me, what's going on? Part of the reason why sometimes I feel like these kids don't want to talk to their parents is because these parents um, are not nice to themselves. Mm-hmm. The kids can read nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. They can read whether a parent loves themselves, is kind to themselves, is compassionate with themselves. And if a parent is harsh with themselves and pushes themselves to perform, the kid knows if I open up, my parent's going to push me. Yeah. So you got to create a safe context. And the best way to create a safe context for marriage or kiddos yeah. is for you to create a safe context inside of yourself with, you, with yeah. yourself. Yeah. Do that deep inner healing work. Like that you said, you know, that there is a period of time. I still, still, there still is, I'm sure, just as, as it is for me and all of us, where our, the focus on our kids is about uh, 
them performing, them achieving, them getting grades, getting 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 on the team, yeah. being seen as, you know, don't make a fool of yourself in yeah. public. And I love what you said about versus delighting in them. Yes. And the reality is, is that when we delight in them, it's about them. And all that other stuff is about us. Mm. It's about our issues. Yeah. It's about how we're trying to compensate. And because I don't want my kid throwing a temper tantrum at the restaurant is because I don't want people to look at me and think that I'm a bad parent. Totally. It's uh, and, and we get this often with, with our treatment programs, too, or therapy, is that parents have a stigma around finding a therapist or help for their kids because they feel like that's tells me that I'm a bad parent. Totally. And so often we want to focus on, hey, we're doing this because we love our kids. Yes. Uh, what I also love about what you're sharing is we're all we're, we will often spend time with with our parents and our programs is making them understand this idea of trying to eliminate any enmeshment, any mm-hmm. of this idea that the kid doesn't know where the relationship or the person begins or ends. And like you said, is they often won't go to you because they're already subconsciously realizing that you're overwhelmed, you're stressed, yeah. you're pushing yourself, you're you're tough on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I should be able to deal with this stuff. But when you're only seven, eight, 10, 12, 15 years old, you shouldn't and you can't physically yeah. from a nervous system, from a brain perspective, deal with those things on your own. Yeah. And your point is, is, it's not about going to help your kid. It's about helping yourself. Yes. Because as soon as you're able to resolve those things, that kid starts to feel those things, you start to, you're now more available. Your issues aren't being placed on the kid, on the on your child. And you can st- that gives you the opportunity to delight in that relationship more and delight in them because you've done your own work. You know where you're, you begin and you're, you end. It's not that... This idea of that if my kid's okay, and we like mm. to talk about this, right? If my kid's okay, I'm okay. If my kid's happy, I'm happy. Right. As this explanation of that's what a good parent does, whereas a good parent really probably needs to create separation to yeah. know that you be your healthy whole self. And if you're your healthy whole self, whole self that's the best parent you can be. Yeah. You're talking a lot about identity in a lot of ways for parents. Parents mm. place their identity in leaders can place their identity in lots of different ways, but one is through their performance. The other one is through the size of their company or how much money they make or, you know, how well they're known. They also can place that in their family. They put an immense amount of pressure on their family to hold an image that they need for the perception that they want to have. And a lot of that is around a deep insecurity around their image of who they really are. They don't know who they are. So they try to construct that through having control over their environment because they feel very out of control internally. Mm. One thing that can come up for leaders is when they feel out of control, instead of breathing and calming down and acknowledging, man, I feel really overwhelmed right now, I feel anxious or afraid, instead what they'll do is they'll push that down and then they'll control everybody in their life, they'll, you know, clean their house or they'll tell their kids to get in order or they'll tell their spouse to look a certain way or they'll, you know, force their team members to be a certain way, all with this attempt to try to soothe something inside. Um, and I think it does go back to identity because they, they don't know who they are, where they're headed, why they're headed there, and what's uh, purposeful and meaningful in life. 
And the reason why that's hard to identify is because, like we talked about at the beginning, those answers are built inside of that emotional and relational part of them. That they're pushing down all the time. That they're pushing down all the time. Performance. Yeah. Totally. So they're tired. They're tapped out. They're exhausted. They're blowing up at their kids. And then they wonder, man, why, can't, why do I feel so depressed? Why do I feel not excited about life or not happy? Or why does it feel blah? Well, because the part that is there to experience joy and happiness and connection is constantly, like you're saying, being pushed down. So there's this way where we have to slow down to pump the brakes to discover that this part's there and actually value it for what it brings to the table. Um, one way I describe this is thinking about a company with two different co-founders. You know, we use a model called EOS, which is a visionary integrator model, which is very helpful for us and our team to define different roles and how they complement each other. And me and my wife are co-founders and we have very different gifts. Now, if I went into the company and I said, I'm the CEO, my gifts are better than your gifts, you stay in the background, I never want to hear from you. Well, a company would be really unbalanced and really unhealthy in ways. Same thing if she did that to me. So really the best company is us coming together and actually seeing each other's gifts and values and then operating as a complete whole to pursue overall success, not just success for one founder or the other founder. It's very similar in families as well with parents, but also internally with this high performer and this emotional part. So I think this is relevant because at Embark, a lot of our parents uh, our leaders, our mm -hmm. athletes, or uh, leaders in government and business, and uh, th they're achieving, they're performing, and for a kid, just the mere fact of a parent being successful and yeah. performing mm -hmm. puts pressure on them. Yes. Then the parent doesn't even need to say anything that puts this light on the kid, whereas maybe they're not good enough, or maybe they're not loved, or yes. maybe they're not accepted. And often that achieving performing parent is in this, like you said, this mode that becomes this lifestyle of achievement and performance yeah. that is everywhere. Yeah. So they go from wherever they are at work to at home, yeah. thinking now my family, you all need to perform and achieve. Whereas yes. I, as a kid, am all already feeling in a way not accepted. Mm -hmm. And what I need most from you is to come and just love me and be with me that provides that foundation. And even though you, you may want the best for me and you may want me to perform and and excel and achieve, yeah. what happens is I, I don't feel accepted. I don't feel loved. I don't feel worthy. I feel shame. I don't yeah. feel valuable. Which is things that are getting from the world all the time when they're out there. Yeah. And I think one thing that I hear from leaders, Alex, is that they want their kids to be you know, they're these high-driven entrepreneurs and leaders. They understand grit and tenacity. They've gotten where they are because of their action, and they want to instill that in their kids. You know, they want to instill this survival, like push through, be gritty, do the hard thing. Listen, life is already giving that to them all the time, all the time. What they don't have is they don't have a safe place to be known and whole and to be unconditionally loved. So... If you're going to bend in one direction or the other, the world is already pushing all that on them. Why don't you provide a safe context for them to come back to? We call that home base. Yeah. Provide a safe home base, which has everything to do with your ability to um, provide that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can't give that to yourself, how on earth are you going to provide a home home base and a safe, unconditional love for, for your children? But... If I was to lean to one side or the other, yeah. um, 
provide that kind of context rather than just always wanting to push your kids for more. Yeah, well, I think it's particularly relevant right now uh, where, as you mentioned, all of those, all that pressure and stress, there's all this comparison because of all this information Mm. that creates this stress. And so often we'll go home Mm. and our parents want to build more grit and resilience and Mm. want us to perform and achieve. And they're often not present either because they're still stressed out and they're on their phone. The kids don't have that base, that foundation to deal with all that stress that's coming from society. You know, it's so interesting, Alex, as you talk about the struggles and stressors of children and you just name some of those things of the impact of social media and, you know, everybody knows what grade you're, what grade you have and the pressure. Leaders face the same things, mm-hmm. but in different contexts. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of dawns on me this reality that what these adolescents and these children are struggling with, adults face those same struggles. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real beautiful way to enter into empathy with our children is to recognize that, oh, man, I know what it's like to be in a group of people where, you know, I'm trying to position myself of having the best company or mm-hmm. people know who I am or they know the pressures that I face or very similar struggles, yeah. different contexts. And I think that can bridge this empathy um, to enter into those struggles with your children. Yeah, and then and, and just knowing that children's, children don't have the neurobiological capacity to mm. deal with the same amount of stress an adult does simply because our nervous system and brain is developed. I think the other thing that's interesting is that uh, I'd be curious to know is to what extent when we talked about that child who's at home who wants nothing more than their their father or mother to delight in them but instead comes home to put um, to to have expectations about achievement and performance uh, and they start to feel shame and not accepted to what extent do you see in your leaders that their performance their pursuit for achievement actually deep down comes from that same experience they had with their father or mother or parents mm. where they didn't feel love and feel accepted mm. and they feel that by achieving and performing is what makes me feel better or even just just like drugs may or alcohol may may cover up that hurt yes that if i continue to work hard i'm always busy and i'm going to the, i don't need to deal with that underlying pain that I just don't feel accepted. And it comes from, so they just simply are repeating what they experienced. How often do you see that in your coaching with leaders? Man, I see, I see that a lot. And it doesn't mean that every parent, you know, devastated the life of these entrepreneurs, but parental dynamics are absolutely huge. They shape our brain. They form our brain at an early stage on how we think about ourselves. You know, let's take drinking and alcohol, for example. If you have a parent who's an alcoholic, they're notoriously never going to be attuned to your emotional needs, right? They're always going to be checking out through alcohol to numb and to to go to that escapism. So they're not going to be present with what you need as a child or who you are. Well, it's interesting because a lot of leaders who have parents who are alcoholics, what do they do to themselves? They neglect their own needs. <laughs> they turn away from their own needs. They don't know what they feel. They don't know what they want. And they're so focused on achievement or other people that if you sit down with them and you say, how are you doing today? What do you feel like you need in life? They're like, I don't, I don't know what I need. So in some ways, they're parenting themselves the same way that they got parented. And I think for leaders, what I'd want you to do is to sit back and reflect how was I parented? 
And how am I parenting myself the same way? And then how am I parenting my children the same way? Mm-hmm. It's rare if I sit down th- with a leader and I ask them, did your parents help you understand what you felt, why you felt it, and where you could connect that in your body? Mm-hmm. No hands go up. Mm-hmm. Okay, No hands go up. And yet children... And they're like, oh, that's normal that, you know, my parents were attuned emotionally. Well, I'm just letting you know that for children, that's not, that's a non-negotiable need. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's part of emotional development. That's not a nice to have. That's a have to have mm-hmm. in order to develop and not having that is what we d- would define as emotional neglect, this ability to not have that attunement or that emotional regulation. So part of that is to just step back and go, oh my gosh, what if I didn't get that? How am I going to give that to my family and my children? <laughs> You can't pass downstream what was never upstream. So you have to stop and do this hard work of going, wow, how do I now identify what I feel? Is it sadness? Is it fear? Is it anger? Where is it in my body? What's oh, in my chest? My chest is racing. What is it? Oh, that's anxiety. Oh, my stomach is turning. Oh, I must be afraid. Just simply naming that, sitting with that, feeling that is a way to retrain those centers of our brain. And then you know what's going to happen. You see your children and he's acting out. And you can see beyond just the behavior and you go, oh, I see, you know, they're frantic. I know they have a big day at school tomorrow. Hmm. Sit down with them. Are you a little bit nervous, buddy? Yeah, yeah I'm really nervous. There's this, there's this bully. It's, oh, okay. I can tell that you're trying to move that out through your body. You're trying to get it out, all that anger. Yeah. So you help them connect with what they feel. And that really calms their brain. So now what you did, you didn't get it, but you can give it to yourself. And now you can give it to your children and create a lasting impact relationship, joy, connection. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Your children are going to be able to pass it down the chain now because you gave it to them. And it's never too late for this. I don't care if you're 70 years old. uh, You have children. (laughs) I don't care if your child is 60 years old. You can still pass down some of these learnings to them. Yeah. You know, I think there's this this saying that people uh, don't do drugs to get high. They do drugs to escape the lows. Mm. And I think a lot of it's similar from a work perspective. Uh, and a leader who's achieving is we don't necessarily work to perform to achieve or to win, but it's to not fail, not lose. And so we keep on going, keep on going because we don't want to feel those things. It's just a it's just a different addiction. And if we can't be present in that moment because we're achieving and working and we're just on this go mode, perform mode all the time because we don't want to confront those feelings. And we're we're in that mode all the time. When we go home and what our kids need most from us hmm. is to be present with them in those emotions yes. that we aren't able to be present yes. with for ourselves. We're not going to see it. We're not going to we're not going to realize totally. it. And then meanwhile you have your child who's already struggling from all the pressures and the stress of, of society, and they can't handle it. They can't keep it together, and we can't see it because we can't see it in yeah. ourselves. Then we're not able to be the parent that our child needs. Yeah. And and I would even say the parent that I believe a lot of these leaders want to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think any leader wakes up in the morning and says, boy, I want a really bad relationship with my child. I don't want them to be um, – I want them to – you know, yell at me or I want to yell at them today or I want to be disconnected from them in 20 years. No, all leaders want deep connection. They really do. They just don't know how to get there. And the point that you're talking about with substances, I think we could apply to the life of a leader around uh, one author stated that leaders numb their pain through the narcotic of action. Mm -hmm. That when we slow down, we have to feel. Mm -hmm. 
because we have to feel in our body. We have to feel our heart racing. We have to feel our shoulders tense. Mm -hmm. And we know as a child there are moments that we, we had to rush through that we felt those same emotions, that tension, that fear. That, and we didn't like that, so we dis disconnected. We got away from our body. We got busy. We spent money. We went to alcohol. So what's so hard is action is a narcotic that keeps us away from feeling our pain. And the opposite of action is to pause and to rest. And that is a trigger for a lot of leaders. Yeah. I'll tell you, the word boredom terrifies leaders. Yeah. To be bored, um, and yet children are bored all the time. It's called play and creativity. It's, yeah. it's natural and it's healthy for the human brain. And we've, we've lost the capacity to be bored as leaders, I think because we're afraid of that state mm -hmm. of feeling. Mm -hmm. And yet if we don't face that state of feeling, we can never develop into the leader we're built to be, and we can never create lasting impact in the families that we currently have uh, responsibility over. Yeah, the, you know, the, the rest, the pause. Uh, there was a leader uh, I was hearing from the other day who talked about this, this time in life where they felt uh, they were describing it as empty and down. And specifically said, not really depressed, just kind of empty and down. Mm -hmm. And they said that they what they realized the cause was, was that they uh, they didn't have this their routine of back to back meetings and back to back intensity from the minute they wake up to the minute they went down. And they're like, that's mm -hmm. when I felt alive, and I missed that, so I need to go find that again. Mm -hmm. When the reality was, no, that that's covering up that that moment when yeah. you are feeling there's. There isn't anything inherently wrong with sad feelings, yeah. with the idea of feeling depressed or being totally. depressed. If there's anything wrong with it is it's when we don't, we aren't able to sit in it. We aren't able to accept it mm -hmm. as part of us. Yes. And so this leader basically was saying, I noticed that there was something wrong with me. And so therefore to shut that out, yeah. I got really busy again. Totally. And, and, and that's that chief performance officer. That's that high performer. It's the narcotic. It, it feels the emotional relational part. And what it wants to do is it wants to take it and it wants to push it down mm -hmm. and then get back to action. It's that yeah. narcotic. It, that is a trauma response. Yeah. Okay. It's a trauma response. So I don't care how you slice it. You can call it trauma, stress, discouragement, whatever you want to slice it. But what we know from trauma is that we disconnect from our feelings in our body when we're under uh, intense levels of stress that tie back to moments in our life where we don't want to feel those yeah. anymore. We're talking about trauma responses. Mm -hmm. um, and yet in society, we don't typically like that word because it's yeah. over, um, you know, it's, it's charged. But the reality is that all of us have trauma. Mm -hmm. And even if you feel like you just want to define it as stress, look up the term toxic stress and you'll see that it's very correlated to this idea of tra trauma, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's overload in our body and our brain, mm -hmm. which has lasting impacts on us emotionally, socially, and relationally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like, uh, I think it was Bessel van der Kolk who defined trauma as uh, the body's inability to integrate an adverse experience. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is all of us have had traumas. All of us are traumatized in a whole variety of different ways. There are just certain experiences, adverse experiences in life that you haven't integrated, different ones that I haven't. And it's all different, but we're all living in uh, in this this space of integration and, integration and disintegration of life experience. Yeah. And that idea of wholeness is how do we take those pieces and continue to bring them bring them, them together 
heal you, them and integrate them. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, this leader of, of about, you know, the, that action is the narcotic and that if we stay busy, if we continue to achieve, if we continue to win, uh, it, it's not necessarily because that I want that. It's that I don't want these other things, these other parts of me that I think are less. Uh, either the feelings of sadness or that trauma or that yeah. early childhood experience or that kid when I was little that I hate, I don't like. What it me when I was little, yeah. that kid that was bullied, that didn't that didn't stand up for himself. I don't like that kid. Yep. That kid's not me and mm. I'm going to put him over there. Even though almost everything I'm doing is all about that kid, mm. is about getting as far away from that kid as yeah. possible. Yeah. So I say it has nothing to do with that kid, but it has everything to do with yeah. that kid. Yeah. And so bringing that kid closer. But then what we do at home, too, is when we're not feeling like we're doing well as parents, more action, more activities for the kids. Let's get up. Let's get out. Let's get them into more sports. Let's get them. We have to make sure that's and that makes me feel better, too. And so now all of a sudden, everything is busy. Our whole life is busy. We're all moving. Nobody's slowing down to be present in ourselves with our emotions. And so now, now not only do we have this stress and anxiety, but our kids have this stress and anxiety. Nobody's really confronting their yeah. depression yeah. until at one point for somebody, it blows up and totally. we have a crisis. And it doesn't have to blow up and get to crisis mode. I think the biggest thing that I want to communicate to leaders even today is like everybody struggles. Everybody's having a hard time. And to give you as a leader permission to recognize that your kids are struggling, probably your spouse is struggling, probably you are struggling. It's because you're human. Nothing's wrong with you. And for a lot of time, I think leaders put themselves in boxes of, of like this alpha, this inability to be human. And yet all leaders struggle. All leaders need, sa- need safe context to process and share. Bark Behavioral Health is a, is a beautiful place that creates that space for, for kids and adolescents to have that safe place to process what they need to move through in order to find joy and happiness and, and a productive and, and successful life. Leaders, you need that too. You need that too. You deserve to have that space. And yet what I found is that the business community this high-pressure community is not going to give that to you. If anything, it's going to require more of you. It's going to take you. So you really got to find those spaces where you can be honest about what's going on inside. Uh, and part of it just starts with one person. Start having a conversation. Mm-hmm. So tell me, Andy, I'm curious. You, you know, you've worked with lots of leaders. And as uh, is that often... Uh, many many of the parents that have uh, kids that are in in our programs or outpatient clinics residential programs our our, our leaders have have a lot of pressure a lot mm-hmm. of expectations and as we were discussing the first step really is for them to do their own work and for them to focus on their wholeness in your work with all the different leaders if if you could find that kind of that w- w- one thing that you feel like is the most that most consistently comes up that's preventing these leaders from being whole, mm. uh, what would you say that that one thing is that's preventing them from becoming whole? And then the second question mm. is, what do you think the one thing is that caused this, the one main thing you see over and over again that caused this yeah. lack of integration? So there's the aspect of what's preventing me from being whole, and then there's this aspect of, well, what caused this disintegration from the first place what would you say from your experience are those are those yeah it's a great question and that's a hard question because there are a lot of different facets but if i could 
narrow it down to kind of a core, uh, it would be this idea of disintegration or fragmentation that as kiddos were, were born into this world with a synonymous identity of who we are and we're not um, posturing, we're not putting on a front, yet we go through hard things and then we realize, oh, the most vulnerable parts of myself I can't just have those out all the time. I have to have something, whether it's my performance or protection or my charisma or my happiness or sarcasm, come in front to block that. And I would say as time goes on, that gets further and farther away from each other. That emotional depth, that connection, that vulnerability gets farther and farther as you perform more, as you're more sarcastic, as you deflect more, as you defend more. And over time, I think the core issue that these leaders are facing is disintegrated, that this integration that these parts are so divided that um, their families are falling apart. They have no relationship with their children. Um, they struggle to lead well. They're having blow-ups with people. They feel depressed. They feel lost. They don't know how to say no. Because instead of working as a complete whole where these parts are integrated and working well together, one part is driving the bus, which is that high performer, 99% of the time. And they don't even know how to find anymore mm -hmm. the emotional vulnerable part. It's like it got locked away and they, they don't even know they have it and they don't know where it is, and they don't know how to access it. So all they can give is more, do more. I can't offer empathy. I can't connect. I can't slow down. And that's an exhausting life for leaders. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the biggest thing that I see. And what needs to happen there is first they got to come into a safe enough space where they can process that, slow that part down a little bit, do some discovery work to realize, oh, there is this part inside of me. Here it is. This is what it feels like to allow that come up to see that it might have value for creativity and innovation and purpose and meaning, and then figure out how to live life with these parts integrated. So one way we do that through our process is we help leaders craft a five-year vision on who they want to be. Because leaders have spent their entire life becoming what other people want them to be, whether it's their business or board members or partners or kiddos, they just mold and mesh to everybody um, because they don't know who they are. So we really help them craft this vision of what's five years out, who do you want to be? What do you want to feel on the inside? What do you want to have other people feel when they're in your presence? And then out of that, we call them to action. Now you can run. Yeah. Now you can lock in that high performer and just go crazy because now you have clarity about where you're headed and why. Yeah. But first you got to step back and get that identity. So that's kind of what I see and where, where we typically take people from there. But where that begins is, like I said, really early on in life, as children, we have these overwhelming experiences that happen, mm -hmm. either emotionally or physically or spiritually. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we don't know what to do with them, and then we don't have a safe person to process it with. So where does it go? It doesn't come out of our body. It doesn't come out of our mouth or through our actions because people tell us, oh, you're not allowed to get angry like that. Shut it down. You're not allowed to cry. Stop crying. Mm -hmm. So everything that wants to come out in our body, our words, our tears, our anger, is told to be put back inside. Mm -hmm. And when it's told to be put back inside, we start to become disconnected from who we are and what we feel. Mm -hmm. And then we have to perform and be what everyone wants us to be. And that is the identity crisis that happens early on. Yeah. Is we become what everybody else wants us to become, but we forget about who we truly are. And the best leaders, the best leaders are those people who are connected to who they are, 
what they want to accomplish in life, purpose and meaning, and then they tap into that high performer who just drives that bus, and it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But without that, it's just chaos mm-hmm. every day, all day long. It's just amazing that the, our, our early our early life experiences, uh, how much of that drives, but it should be natural too when we talk about human development yep. is that you're building on these experiences and those early life experiences are the most formative. Mm-hmm. And, and the positive experiences and the adverse experiences, the traumas, and particularly those around relationships, mm-hmm. the emotional traumas, the emotional experiences yeah. start to define who we are. And later on in life, we behave in certain ways. We we do certain things based off those experiences that so many of them we just want to shut shut out. Yep. And so many of them, too, were, were for whatever reason, because of society or yep. what it means to succeed, is is we, we don't want to share them. We don't want to expose them. We want to hide them, which becomes this issue of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So often with parents, what I find is, or even as a leader... Uh, when a leader is able to say that, you know, I, I just, I just don't think that, um, mm. you, you know, that I think I'm a fraud. I don't think people know that yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. And, and then you start to share that. And then it's that vulnerability. And especially, first of all, the, the, the fact that you share it, because so many people tell themselves this these me- different types of messages yeah. only to themselves and that's what they don't like what that when that message mm-hmm. so then they say well how do i turn that off so then yeah. they'll do things to turn that off so they're already telling themselves these messages that are based off early life experiences and those mm-hmm. messages are perfectly fine if, if we would only realize right. that we all feel them and but we need to be in a relationship in an environment that's safe that allows me to actually verbalize it yeah. and with somebody else that responds in a way yeah where I still feel accepted. So with our parents, for example, is so often is, is so many of them feel like they're a bad parent yeah. and that I caused this. Um, and this is why my child is depressed or this is why my child uh, is thinking about suicide or attempted suicide. It's because of me. It's my fault. Mm. And I already feel this and I'm already telling myself this. And I think other people think that of me too. But I don't like to accept that. So I'm going to start to behave and I'm going to start to fix, try to fix my kid or address it to push away that feeling. But if I can get just get to a place of vulnerability to communicate these things, the healing journey starts. It's amazing to know that. And also, as you've probably experienced in rooms with CEOs that I've been in with you, all of a sudden everybody was like, shoot, everybody feels the same way I do. Mm -hmm. It's like we all feel these same things. Then why are we all trying to hide them and cover Mm -hmm. up? Same as parents. We all feel like we're not good yes. parents. Who here feels like they're the best parent ever? Nobody raises their hands. Then we start to be vulnerable. And yeah. it's not about putting up this front and this performing as a parent or performing as a leader. Why is it so hard to be vulnerable as a parent, as yeah. a leader? Why, why do you think that vulnerability is so difficult? We're taught that our needs um, need to be pushed down or that our needs were never met. Why would I ask for something if I'm pretty convinced that no one's going to come and meet that need? Mm-hmm. You know, if if, uh, if a child keeps getting hurt and they cry and no one attunes to those tears, they'll stop crying. Because what's the point of crying if no one's going to attune to that? And, 
and what you're describing resonates with what I described earlier, which is we are taught from an early age who we're supposed to be and who we're not supposed to be. And unfortunately for men and women and for leaders, uh, we're not taught to express what we feel. So we get to this point now, you know, you're saying we need to be in this vulnerable place where we can process and open up. But when you have decades trained subconscious thoughts of, well, it's not safe to share what I feel because every time I did in the past, someone told me to put it back inside or I'm a sissy or, you know, you're too much. So we just think, oh, man, I've got to just carry this on my own. So one is finding good context and safe people to do that with. I wouldn't open up and share, you know, what's going on inside of myself with just everybody. But I resonate with what you're saying uh, that, you know, as a parent, as a leader, I struggle in immense ways. There are days when I step back and I feel the shame of my behavior and my mistakes, and I have to work through that. For me, I take great pride in knowing that I don't just push those down. I actually address those and I lean into those. And that's partly why we built Pursue Whole and named it Pursue Whole. It's not arriving at wholeness. It's not getting to the point of the journey where you're fixed. It's pursuing wholeness, which is this way of being, this vulnerability, is not a choice you make once. This is a decision you make of a lifestyle. This is a way you determine to live your life. Uh, if you're in this journey of wholeness or emotional health to get an outcome, you will lose. Okay, because it's going to get really, really hard. This journey of emotional health is actually way harder in some ways than just numbing everything. Mm -hmm. You got to feel, you got to deal. But the benefits of it are amazing. Mm -hmm. So part of this is this is a lifelong journey. And in that lifelong journey, you will make mistakes. One of our mottos at Pursue Whole is pain is the pathway to growth. Mm -hmm. We're a strong believer that you will experience pain and you will mess up and you will struggle. And if you can integrate that, if you can own that, be honest about that, that is really what produces the most beautiful growth inside of you as a leader mm -hmm. and as a parent. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate your time. Appreciate our relationship and Thank our friendship. You. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening in on this episode of Roadmap to Joy. You can find more of our podcasts on everywhere you where you can see podcasts. We're also on YouTube. So please visit and take a look. Thanks so much for your time. Good to see you.